You are listening to the podcast of New Life Church in Wayland, Michigan. Our longing is to see zero people in our community living unchanged by Jesus. We are a church navigating the messiness of life together in community. One of our core convictions is that everyone is welcome, no one is perfect, and anything is possible. I hope you know there is a place in the family for you here. For more information on gathering times and location, check out our website. But for now, I hope God speaks powerfully to you through this word. Welcome, everybody. It's good to see you. Good to be back with you again. If you're watching with us online, it's great to have you with us as well. And uh, yeah, it's been a little while since I've been here. So if you're newer, I met a couple of new people uh, just walking in the door. It's just amazing. Two things you need to know about me. Number one, um, I love what God is doing here at New Life. I love just every time I come here, I meet new people and just the impact you guys are having on the community. It's just fun to be a part of, of New Life. It's fun to come here on a Sunday morning and to be with you and to see all that God is doing. The second thing you need to know about me is I love your pastor. Uh, Brad and I have been friends for many, many years, we've been in ministry together. I was, I was, um, he was part of the church I was leading when he stepped into ministry for the first time. And so it's just amazing just to watch. And then this past weekend, or this past week, watching, I don't know if you guys saw this, but uh, Theo's adoption was finalized. And now uh, I know you guys, your hearts are with um, them as well, Brad and Sam. And uh, if you guys are watching this morning, we're just so thrilled as a church family for you guys in that long journey, finally uh, coming to this place. And um, I have a lot of input, and we, we make sermons together and everything, just like Brad talked about, but I just want to make it clear, um, you know, the decision to grow a mustache or to wear corduroy shorts like Brad does, I have nothing to do with those decisions. That is all him. I just want to make that really, really clear. Um, so we're, we're in this series right now, Soul Work. We're talking about spiritual disciplines, all four churches and the Zero Collective. We're looking at these 12 different spiritual dis- disciplines over the summer ways in which we enrich our, our relationship with God and we care for the most important part of us, our soul. And so today we're talking about the spiritual discipline of confession. Confession is a spiritual discipline that we are talking about. And so to, to get us into what we're discussing this morning, go ahead if you guys will to that picture. Uh, what is this right here? Ping pong table. Nobody said te- table tennis, right? Nobody in Wayland says table tennis, right? That's, that's a little highbrow. So, oh, you, okay, you do. All right, awesome. Uh, whether you call it table tennis, whether you call it ping pong, uh, we had one of these in my house growing up in Indiana. And uh, my brother and I used to play ping pong all the time together. My brother is three years younger than me, and he could always beat me. I don't understand. He, he was just good at it. He has longer arms than me and everything. I just, he was just really, really good at ping pong. And so uh, when I graduated high school and I went off for my freshman year of college, I moved into the dorm, and I, lo and behold, found out that there on campus, there was a game room with a ping pong table in it. And so my freshman year of college, I began inviting all my friends in the dorm, mostly those who were overweight and slow. I said, come and play me in ping pong. And so we started playing, I I mean, hours upon hours upon hours, game after game after game of ping pong. I would play with my buddies and I would try and get better and better and better at ping pong. And uh, my friends, they weren't willing to put in the kind of hours that I was willing to put in the game. And so after a little while, I began to beat all of my friends. I began to just absolutely dominate them at ping pong. And I had the kind of GPA that would show that I was really, really good at ping pong, right? Uh, But uh, I just got better and better. And so as the semester went on, I started getting excited about, man, Christmas break is coming and I'm gonna come home and I'm gonna face my brother, but I've gotten a lot better. And so I began sending these messages to my brother like, hey buddy, your day of reckoning is coming. Christmas break is coming. We're gonna square up at the ping pong table. I started just talking all this trash because I knew I had gotten better. 
And so the big moment came is Christmas break. My brother and I, we square up around the ping pong table. This is the moment I've been waiting for. My grades were terrible, but my, my ping pong game was strong. And my brother proceeded to utterly destroy me at ping pong. I, I st- it was one of those shocking moments of my life. I, I don't remember the score, but I do remember just that feeling of humiliation. Like, are you kidding me? He's still that much better than me. And what had happened was, I had been comparing myself to all my buddies at school, these guys in the dorm who I was playing with, and it had given me this kind of false picture of how good I actually was or how bad I actually was at ping pong. Uh, And that happens to us all the time. So if, if, if we could, I want to talk for a moment about horizontal comparisons. Horizontal comparisons are dangerous. We do this all the time where we will compare ourselves to other people around us. And when we do that, especially when it comes to our sin, what happens is we get this false impression of how good we really are or how, you know, how, how we're really doing in life. Let me, let me give you a couple examples. You hear people say these kind of things all the time, right? Like, all my friends are having sex before they're married. It doesn't matter if I am too. Horizontal comparisons. Every guy I know looks at porn. What's the big deal if I am too? Uh, you know, yeah, I, maybe I have a little bit of a drinking problem, but man, I don't drink as much as Steve. Have you seen Steve over there? Sorry if anyone here is named Steve. I wasn't trying to call you out or anything like that. Uh, you know, nobody in my family tithes. Everybody in my family is in debt. It's like, why can't I have the things I want to? I should be able to do that too. We're just, you know, everybody lies. You know, at least I don't lie as much as her. These are the things we say all the time. And what, what we do is we, we compare ourselves horizontally to other people. And if that's all you ever do, if all you ever do in your life is you make horizontal comparisons, just like me with my friends at school, you won't change. You won't grow. Uh, you'll just kind of find more and more justifications for believing that things are fine. You're really great. You don't really need to change. And you'll just stay stuck spiritually. You'll stay stuck in your life. And it's not what God wants for you. And so what confession is, when we begin to look at confession, confession invites us to make a vertical comparison, to to look at our lives in light of God, in light of his word. Just like me kind of facing my brother at the the ping pong table, I suddenly got this realistic picture of where I really was in my ping pong game when I played somebody so much better. When we stop making horizontal comparisons and when we compare ourselves to a holy God, when we compare ourselves to his word and, and the standards that he calls us to, we get this accurate picture of our lives and what our sin really is. And, and so uh, if I could, I just want to define, this is what confession is. It, it, go ahead if you could to that next one, guys. A confession is a vertical comparison between God's standards and my behavior. That's what confession is. When we're confessing, what we're doing is we're not looking at our friends and going, well, you know, yeah, maybe I have a problem and I'm not as bad as them over there. We're making a vertical comparison. We're saying, this is what God calls us to. This is what his word says. And then we're comparing that to my behavior and we're owning our behavior. In fact, whenever you see the word confession in the New Testament, it's the word homo legeo. That's the word for confession in the New Testament. Now, homo logeo is two words, homo and logeo, or logos, which means same word. That's what it means. Confession is is same word. So what we're literally doing, when we confess our sins, we are saying the same word. We're saying the same thing about our lives, about our choices, about our behavior, about about who we are 
as God is saying about our lives. Confession, same word. Whenever we say, I'm confessing my sins, I'm saying the same thing about my life that God is saying. And what we're doing with confession is we're owning my, I'm owning my behavior personally. I'm owning that in the ways in which I haven't lived up to uh, God's word and what his standards are for us. Um, now, why is that so important? Why is that so important to do? Why do I need to own that personally? Uh, and the, the reason is because we avoid making sin personal. And this is all of us. This is me. This is, this is you. All, every single one of us, we avoid making sin personal. Have you heard it either one of these phrases? Go ahead, if you could, to the next one there. Um, mistakes were made. You ever heard that before? Uh, this has been said by politicians. It's been said by CEOs accused of fraud in the media. Uh, and most recently, it's been said by uh, megachurch pastors who have been embroiled in some kind of a scandal. It's, it's an attempt to say, well, mistakes were made. You know, like I'll acknowledge like there were some mistakes made, not by me personally, but... Uh, it's a way to acknowledge error or mistakes, but without taking any sort of personal responsibility for it, without owning it personally. Or, or have you ever had someone say, maybe there's a conflict, you're in a fight with someone, and, and the other person says, well, I'm sorry you felt that way. Or, I'm, I'm sorry you took it wrong. I'm sorry you misunderstood what I was saying. You ever had somebody say something like that to you? If you notice it doesn't resolve the conflict, <laughs> it doesn't make you feel better. If, something's, if something has happened between you and another person and they say that to you, the reason it doesn't make it go away or, or make you lean in and make uh, forgiveness happen is because they're actually, the person is actually apologizing for the way you felt. They're apologizing for you. They're not apologizing. They're not taking personal ownership of their own behavior, the things they did to make you feel that way, and that's why it doesn't work. The, this is not confession. Mistakes were made. That's not confession. I'm sorry you felt that way. I'm sorry you took it wrong. That, that's not confession. Confession is when we make a vertical comparison of our lives to God and we own it personally and we say, I sinned. I've sinned. And I've sinned God before you. I've, I've sinned and, and I've fallen short and we own it personally. Now, uh, this is like what everybody's just rushing to do, right? Everybody is just so excited to do this, right? We, we don't like this. We avoid having to come to places in our lives where we confess. What's interesting is Scripture is full, absolutely full of warnings not to avoid confession. I just want to look at three of them here with you uh, this morning. So 1 John 1.8 says this, If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Literally, the writer John is saying, like, if, if we claim to be without sin, if we avoid confession, we think we're fooling other people. We're actually just deceiving ourselves. Nobody else is really that fooled that you have sin in your life. <laughs> we, we all know it. You just deceive yourself when you, when you claim you're without sin. Next one. This is Psalm 32. Um, the writer literally is talking about, like, holding in guilt and sin and not speaking it. When I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night, your hand was heavy on me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. Like these last couple days have been like 90 degrees. That feeling when you just walk out and your strength is just like drained right from you. He's saying that's what it feels like when, when, when we're carrying around something and we're refusing to own it, we're refusing to confess it, but we have that weight of guilt. My strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. And then uh, Proverbs 28, the first part of verse 13 is those who conceal their sins do not prosper. 
Now, those are just three examples in Scripture. I could go on and on and on. But what's, you know what's really interesting to me about this? Whenever you go to the Bible, whenever you find the subject of, of confession in the Bible, and it talks about these warnings, over and over again, there are these warnings. Don't avoid confession. Don't run from confession. Don't hide from it. Don't run away from owning your sin personally. It never, ever, ever in the Bible says, because if you avoid confession, it really hurts God's feelings. God's really affected. Like, God, God is just really sad when you avoid confession. Like, like, God wants you to do that. It never says that. God already knows our sins, right? He already knows everything in our hearts. What it says over and over and over again is, it's bad for you. When you avoid confession, when you won't own it personally, when you try to avoid it or justify it or make horizontal comparisons or just kind of say, well, you know, mistakes were made, but not by me personally. When we do that, the Bible again and again and again says, it's bad for you. It's toxic for your soul. What happens when we avoid confession, when we run away from it, is like our inner world wastes away. We're robbing ourselves from peace, from rest that we could know, that we could have in our lives. And so what happens is we just, you know, pride becomes ingrained in our lives. We become unable to change, unable to grow and it affects everything in our lives. And over and over again, the warning of Scripture is don't avoid confession. Don't run away from it. You need confession, and it's bad for you if you don't experience it. But then what's interesting is every part, place in Scripture where it talks about confession, not only does it talk about this warning uh, not to avoid confession, but then it talks about promises of what God will do. And here's the hopeful part. Here, here's the joy in what we're talking about this morning. It talks about what God will do, promises, when we confess. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to give you those same three passages of Scripture we just looked at. Okay, we just looked at three passages. We're going to look at those same three passages again, and all we're going to do is we're going to read the next sentence. Because in Scripture, wherever God talks about a warning not to confess, He also follows it up with a promise of what He will do when we come to Him in true confession. So go ahead, if you would, guys, to that next one. So this is the first one we read together. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. But look at the promise. But if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Next one, Psalm 32. When I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night, your hand was heavy on me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. But look at what it says next. Then I acknowledged my sin to you and did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. And you forgave the guilt of my sin. There's a, there's a promise every single time accompanied with the warning. When you confess, God says, I'm gonna draw near to you. I'm gonna forgive you. Go to that last one. Proverbs 28, 13 says, those who conceal their sins do not prosper, but look at the promise. But those who confess and renounce them find mercy. It's, it's amazing. Every time you see this in scripture, God longs to forgive. He longs to purify us. He longs to draw near to us, but we have to stop deceiving ourselves into believing that there's nothing for us to confess, that there's nothing we need to own. But, and we need to come to him. And we need to confess our sins to him. And when we do that, he promises, and he always does, he draws near to us. He enters in. John Newton uh, was a famous, very famously, he was a slave ship captain, uh, moving African slaves, you know, horrible atrocities that happened on these ships. And he became a Christian later in life. He's the guy who wrote the hymn, Amazing Grace. 
I love this line. Uh, he says, two things I know for sure, that I am a great sinner and that he is a great savior. That's confession. It's not, hey, mistakes were made. Confession is, is you know both of those two things at the exact same time and you're owning both of them. I, I'm a great sinner. That's what I am. I'm owning it personally. But I also know the promise that he is a great savior. That when we come to him, he longs to cleanse us. He longs to give us new life in him. Uh, you know, here's the truth. If you, if every single one of you in this room or every one of you watching online, if my thoughts were laid bare before you, if you knew every wicked, evil thought I've ever had, every lustful thought that goes through my mind, if you knew every lie I've ever told, every grudge I've ever carried, and I still have struggles with forgiving people over, if you knew all that stuff right now, if all that was laid bare right in front of you, what you would do is you would get up out of this room and you would walk out. You wouldn't listen to another word I'd have to say. You'd turn off the, the, the live stream right now if you knew. And what Scripture says is, look, God already knows. God already knows my thoughts. He knows my worst stuff. He knows every sin I've ever committed. He knows every thought I have. He knows all the grudges that I carry. He knows all that stuff. And yet, God doesn't leave the room. God picks up his chair and he moves closer to me when I confess, when I own up to it, when I come to him. See, what we think, and we do this all the time as Christians, what we think is that my, my sin, my brokenness, all this stuff about in my life, that I, I gotta like get that out of the way so that I can meet with God. That's what we think. I've got to get my sin and my brokenness, you know, I've got to kind of shove it back here and then I can meet with God. Then I can see God. Then I can go to church. <laughs> but actually, our sin, our brokenness, God knows about that already. We're not hiding it from him. That, your sin and your brokenness, that's the very place where God wants to meet you. It's the very place where he wants to offer his forgiveness and his mercy and his grace to you. That's the very stuff that he wants to enter in with. We, we think we got to hide it so that we can meet with God. And God's like, no, 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 that's where I'm at. That's where I want to meet you. That's where I want to speak into your life. So, so there really is no spiritual growth without confession. But when we come to Jesus, we, we begin by just acknowledging I'm a sinner and I need a savior. And then that's when we find his mercy. And that's when we ask him to be Lord of our lives. That you can't really grow. You can't really move forward in faith without confession. And it's something that we, we learn to keep bringing to God over and over and over again. So the warning is confession. Don't avoid it. But the promise is when we confess, God longs to draw near to us. He longs to forgive us. Now, that, that's an incredible thought right there. But what's amazing is when you read the New Testament, the New Testament writers actually take confession even one step further. Um, what they do is the, the writer James specifically takes confession one step further and takes it horizontal. So we've been talking about like confessing our sins to God and what God does when we confess our sins. But the New Testament writers say, hey, could you take it even one step further? Can you take confession horizontally? James 5, 16, go ahead, if you will, to that verse. It says, therefore, confess your sins to who? To each other. And pray for who? So that you may be healed. Here's where it starts to get interesting, right? Because it's one thing to, for me to confess my sins to God quietly, privately. It's one thing for me to kind of go, okay, God, like you saw that. You know what I did. All right, here, yes, I confess I'm a sinner. It's, it's one thing to do that with God. It's totally another thing to confess my sins to you, to other people in the church. 
and then actually ask and, and allow someone else to pray for me and enter into that place that, that might be shameful, it might be humiliating, it might be uh, embarrassing or, or just hard for me to admit. It's another thing for me to let other people into that space and pray for me, but apparently when I do it, it has the power to heal. It has the power to heal me. Uh, some time ago, I, I was um, going into Meyer. I was standing in line at the pharmacy on Alpine, uh, Alpine Meyer, up on the north side of town where I live in Grand Rapids. And it came time for my, uh, you know, time to walk up to the counter. So I walk up to the counter, and there's this young woman standing behind there, the pharmacist uh, at, there at the Meyer Pharmacy. And as I walk up, she says, oh, hi, Brian. And it was kind of off-putting because I hadn't told her who I was or what my name was. She could see the look on my face. She said, oh, I go to Frontline. Frontline is the, is the church that I, I pastored for about 20 years. And uh, she, she's like, yeah, I've, I've been coming to Frontline. And so she starts making comments about the sermon from the week before. And the, so we're having this like discussion. She apparently knows me. And as she's filling my prescription, as she's talking to me, and suddenly I have this horrible thought as she's filling my prescription. I'm like, Oh man, thank God I wasn't here to get the preparation H today. Like the hemorrhoid cream, right? This time, anyway, right? I mean, and then like I have these other thoughts. She's still talking. I'm thinking, she's got this computer screen. I'm like, can she see my medical records? Can she see all my history out there? I mean, that's, that's, there's some embarrassing stuff in there, I'm just going to say. And I have this, isn't it funny how this like self preservation thing kicks in immediately where it's like, we don't want to be exposed. We don't want to be seen. It's like suddenly, oh, you know me. You, you have this idea. Like, I don't want you to know things about me. Here's the thing about that. She is there to help me. In fact, as a pharmacist, she is there to help heal me. That's her job. That's what she's there to do. What James is saying is, is he's saying uh, we are there as the church to actually help each other heal. Now, I want to be really, really clear. Heal, healing is different than curing, right? It doesn't say we have the power to cure each other of our sins. But when we do have the power to listen to one another, we have the power to, to be there empathetically in a space to allow people, to allow each other to confess our sins because we all have sin. Romans 6, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And then we have the power to pray for one another. And when we pray for one another... We can be healed. We can experience healing. In fact, that's what our prayer ministry is about. Do you guys know that? Uh, every single week, if you're watching online and you've only watched online, you may not know this, but uh, we have people who, who gather here toward the end of the services every single week and pray for one another. And it's, and it's just a, a space to say, hey, we can live out that verse we just read. You can confess your sins. You can, you can uh, pray for one another. If you're carrying a burden, you can come and say, yeah, this is affecting me. And we can ask for prayer. And apparently, when we ask for prayer, when we pray for one another, when we listen, we can be healed. Confession may not cure you of the addiction, but it could heal you from the, the effect of it. It can heal you when, you when you come and be honest about it. Confession won't cure the marriage. But it may be your only chance at healing the damage that's been done in your marriage. You know, the church isn't a place where we come so that we can be cured of our sin. The cure is only found in Christ. But the church can be this place where we help each other experience healing in his name. 
from the way the sin has affected our lives and hurt our lives. And, and it was so sad to me is that so much of the time in church, we spend our time doing this. Man, I hope nobody can see that computer screen. I hope nobody sees the stuff that's going on in my life. I, I just, you know, this is what I got to project. That's not what Jesus intended the church to be. So, so we're invited this morning, not only to own our sin personally, to make a vertical comparison to, between our lives and, and God's standards and confess. Not only do we find him moving in and drawing near to us, but apparently when we do that with each other, when we confess our sins, when we pray for one another, when we allow each other into the burdens that we're carrying, we can be healed. So I want to give you some, with each one of these messages, we've tried to have, like practically, how do we live this out? How do we practice this? So I, if, if we could go ahead to that next one. When, when you confess, I just want to give you a few ideas of what confession is. When you confess, this is what you're doing. First of all, uh, make it personal. When you confess, make it personal. It's not, you know, your mistakes were made. No, I sinned. I, I have sinned. I'm struggling with this. Make it personal. Secondly, uh, make it specific, right? Don't just say, you know, I, I, kinda, I tend to be a jealous person. No, make it specific. Say, I am wrestling with jealousy toward this person and name them. And say, this is the way it's affecting me. Whenever I, I, you know, those feelings come online for me, whenever I'm struggling with jealousy, this is what I do. This is how I act. This is how I behave. Make it personal. Make it specific. And then this is the most important thing I'll say all morning. If you, if you hear nothing else I say today about uh, confession, I hope you, you hear this last part. Make it his now. Once you confess it, it doesn't belong to you anymore. It's his now. Make it his now. This is what, where we struggle, isn't it? Because for so many of us, we've confessed things or we've let the Lord have things, but we, the problem is we didn't make it his. We still kept it. We, we, we're still holding on to it. We're, st- we're still carrying the burden for it, the shame of it, the guilt of it. And, and what the Bible tells us is that when we confess, the guilt is no longer ours to carry. But the gospel promises us that all of our sin, when we confess it to God, it becomes his and he, Jesus takes it. And he took and paid the price for it on the cross and so that we could have the life that only he earned. The sin that you can't forget that keeps you up at night, God doesn't even remember once you've confessed it because he's taken it and he's forgiven you of it. Uh, several years ago, I was scheduled to do a wedding with this young couple. And um, we got up to like the, they, we'd gotten through all the pre-marriage counseling. We were like a week away from the wedding date. And I get this message from the bride. And she says, hey, I need to talk with you privately. That's never a good sign, by, by the way, when that happens. So, so I go and I have this uh, meeting. This uh, young woman sits down. And, and what she says to me is she says, uh, I need you to know, years ago, I had an abortion. She said, I, w- I was young. I was scared. And um, I made this decision. And she, she said, like, and in her case, she just said, it, it, it's really unraveled my life. She said, I, I carry so much regret, so much shame for this, uh, so much trauma personally that I, I've walked through because of, of this abortion. And then she said, here's the thing. When I first met my fiance and we, we started dating, I thought to myself, you know, I, sh- I should probably tell him about my abortion. That's how she referred to it, my abortion. But I, I just, I couldn't. 
And so she said, and then, you know, our relationship got more serious and we started dating more and more seriously. And I had this thing in my past and she says, I, I knew like I should tell him about my abortion. She said, but every time I would get to the point in the conversation, I would think I was gonna say it. She was like, I just couldn't, couldn't bring myself to say it. Then we got engaged and I kept thinking, even through the pre-marriage counseling, I'm gonna say it. Even like the, I would have the day, like I've got to tell him about my abortion. And she said, I would just get to this point and I just couldn't make the words come out of my mouth. And she starts to, to break down and she starts to cry. And she says like, we're a week away from the wedding. I have, I'm holding this secret. I've never told him about my abortion and it, I just feel terrible. And so I said to her, have you ever confessed that to God and just asked him to forgive you? And I'll never forget her answer. She said, oh, I think God probably just hates me because of, of that, because of what I did. Uh, you know, I'm just trying to like live a good life now. I'm just trying to put that behind me and live a good life now. I don't know. I, I, how, how, how could God ever love me after what I did? That's literally what she was thinking. So we began to just talk about the gospel. We began to talk about this truth that when we confess our sins to Jesus, it be he takes it upon himself. We get his life that we didn't earn and he takes on himself our sins. The beauty of the gospel. And so we, we had this time where we just bowed and we prayed together and she wept and she confessed for the first time that, that abortion. She confessed it to the Lord and she asked him to forgive her. And when we were done praying, she said, thank you. I think I finally have the courage to go tell my fiance about my abortion. <laughs> to which I said, what abortion? His abortion? You mean his abortion? See, see that's the beauty of the gospel. It's, it's almost, we don't believe that it's good enough to be true, do we? Even when we confess, sometimes we, we still hang on to it. We carry the guilt. We carry the shame. We don't let others pray for us. We don't let others into it because we think this is too good to be true, that it really could be his, and that he takes it, and it's not mine longer. We think it's too good to be true. The words of that old hymn that we've sang so many times if you grew up in church, my sin, oh, the bliss of this glorious thought, my sin, not in part, but the whole, has been nailed to the cross, and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, oh my soul. That's the hope of the gospel. That's the hope of what we have in Christ. That's, that's the hope that you have. So let's do this. Would you stand in the room? We're gonna, the band's gonna lead us and uh, we're gonna respond this morning. And maybe you just take this time as we're singing, as we're responding, Maybe you just take this time to just say, God, I'm giving this to you. I'm making it yours now. Maybe it's something you've never confessed. Maybe it's something you're struggling with currently that you just haven't, you know, said the same thing about it as God is saying, that vertical comparison. Or maybe it's something you have confessed, but you never made it his. And this moment is the moment you stand and you say, I'm standing on the hope and the truth of the cross. It's not mine anymore. That is his a prayer team, if you guys would come up and just be on either side of the room, maybe during this song, maybe what's stirring in your heart is you know, I mean, I need somebody to pray with me. I've been carrying this burden alone. James 5 says, confess our sins to one another, pray for each other so that we can be healed. There's no judgment. There's no judgment. 
maybe what, you, what you're saying, even as we're singing, maybe you just come up and just allow some, uh, someone else to pray for you, to pray with you, and take that burden to the cross and leave it there. It's not yours to bear anymore. So Jesus, we just come to you right now. There's nothing we could possibly hide from you. You know all the stuff in our hearts. You know all the stuff in our lives. And yet, God, you don't get up and run out of the room. You pick up your chair and you are moving it toward us right now. You're stepping closer to us. You're saying that's that, that stuff in your life, that brokenness in your life, that's the very sight I want to speak into. That's the very place I want to I want to bring healing. That's the very place I want to bring mercy and forgiveness. Those who conceal their sins do not prosper, but those who confess and renounce them find mercy. That's what we want this morning, God. So will you meet us in this place as we come to you in Jesus' name?